0: We're continuing on in our preaching series, The Summer of the Psalms. So go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 27, and let's hope that my voice can last here. I'm having a little issues with my voice this morning. And let's go ahead and read the entire Psalm, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 14. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord, it is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. But he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of diversity, he will hide me. Under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in a tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me. God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. This is another psalm where David is credited as being the author, and David was not only a king and a warrior, a man of strength and courage who had great leadership skills, but he was also known as a poet, songwriter, and musician. David had a sensitive side. He was a man who was real with his emotions and was often in tune with what was going on in his heart. Song and poetry can draw out our inner heart emotions and help us to get in touch with what is going on in the inner world. One of the things I love most about the Psalms is just how brutally honest and raw are the emotions of those who have penned the words. And the psalmists, there's no pretense. They don't stuff down their emotions or try to fake what they're feeling with God. And we should see this as our example. The psalms speak of real-life hurt, pain, frustration, anger, discouragement, fear, depression, heartache, confusion, disillusionment, and loss. The stuff of everyday life that every human being faces. The psalms remind us that at one and the same time, life can be both beautiful and painful, comforting and confusing, Delightful and depressing. So often the writers are experiencing confusion over significant trouble and trials, and it leads them to doubt and a struggling with their faith, asking God why. And yet rather than spending extended periods of time in anger and self-pity and depression, you see the mind and heart of the psalmist turn to his belief in an unchanging reality that regardless of what storm is brewing in his life, God is and always will be there. God is always at work. The Psalms point us to the truth that in life's most challenging, confusing, and troubling times, God is with us, he loves us, and is always good. In our psalm today, we're going to see that David, while experiencing trials, chooses to pursue one thing above all, the one thing that strengthens him to rise above the storms of life. Thus, the title this morning, A One Thing Kind of Life. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We just thank you that you decided to leave us with a precious love letter that, of everything that you want us to know about yourself, about your plan of salvation, about your will for our lives, and how to live for you in a fallen sinful world. This morning, Lord, we pray that as we look into the words of David, as we look at Psalm 27, Lord, open our minds and hearts to what it is that you want to share with us about you, about your greatness, about your goodness, and how we can really stand strong in the midst of trials of life. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and start in Psalm uh, 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I dread? David starts a psalm revealing to us who he has come to know God to be. And he starts out with the Lord is, and if you remember two weeks ago, I talked about that Lord, it's all in caps, and it is in Hebrew, the name Yahweh. I am who I am is revealed to Moses as he stood before Abunim bush. I am the eternal sovereign God who is always there for his people. I am the covenant God of Israel. Then David reveals three specific attributes. It's important to notice that before each attribute, he says, my, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. It's who David has come to know God to be through life experience. Biblical faith is not primarily attained through a series of classroom Bible studies. Biblical faith is relational at its core. The God of the Bible calls us to communion with himself. And our faith journey involves God building a strong relationship with us as we choose to seek, as we choose to dwell, as we choose to abide in him. As we do, God's presence breaks through in our lives in special ways that we get to experience him and ultimately get to know him. We get to know that the God of the Bible truly is who he says he is through life experience. As we open the pages of the scripture and and we get to understand, we read something that says this is who God is. This is an attribute of God. This is part of God's character. Then we get the chance to really experience that in our lives as he breaks through in different ways. David has come to know the Lord as my light, and this is a biblical metaphor for holiness and purity and goodness, sinless perfection. David was comforted by the belief that in God there was no sin, no evil, no moral compromise. There was no ill intentions or desire to harm, and imagine having a relationship with a human being who was like that. Absolutely no sin, no ill motives, no ill intentions. That's what God is. It's a belief that above this cursed world reigns one who is the ultimate definition of everything that is true, everything that is right, everything that is good and pure and holy. He goes on and says, The Lord is my salvation. And the word salvation here includes the idea of deliverance and rescue in the immediate sense, as David was being rescued from his enemies. But in the broadest sense, it speaks of deliverance from sin, from evil, from the curse and its eternal consequences. The prophet Isaiah foretold of this in Isaiah 49, 6, of one who would bring both light and salvation to the Gentiles that would be fulfilled to the future coming and work of the Messiah. And if you remember, Jesus identified him as our light. In John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And Jesus is also identified as our salvation. If you remember when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he said, you shall... You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. Then in Peter's famous speech to the Sanhedrin, he said this concerning Jesus. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus. The Lord Yahweh for which David speaks is Jesus. And as I told you two weeks ago, the beautiful thing about the scriptures is anywhere and everywhere we look, we can see it pointing to Jesus. David then asks his first rhetorical question: whom shall I fear? If God is my light and my salvation, what do I have to be afraid of? And finally, he identifies the Lord as a stronghold. And the word here means strength, our refuge, our protection. Which leads to David's second rhetorical question, whom shall I dread? You see, David didn't put his trust in himself or in his worldly resources. Remember, he was king. He had a whole lot at his disposal, armies and weapons and riches. While in the midst of trial and trouble, his confidence was in God. He knew to be his light, his salvation, and his stronghold. David sought God for his strength and courage to stand tall during difficult times. He did so because of his ongoing devotion and dedication to seek hard after God, to abide in his presence, to make his relationship with God the one thing, the top thing, the most important thing in his life. The Lord was David's first love. He was his life priority. This is vitally important for the Christian to understand and pursue. We all experience seasons of very challenging trials and troubles in our life. Who we come to know God to be is the most important thing about us, especially as we face the storms of life. When we face what are or what feels like life-threatening, life-altering circumstances, maybe facing the reality of our own mortality, our options are either faith or fear. Either we've come to know God as our light, salvation, and strength, and it gives us confidence, it gives us security and stability, it gives us peace and joy, or we don't know him in that way, and we find ourselves overwhelmed by what we face. Atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell once said, the older I get, the more nervous I become. And I think what he was speaking of is death was closing in on him Fear of the unknown began to grip his heart. What if I'm wrong? What if there is a God that I'm accountable to? While Pope John XXIII was quoted as saying in his final hours, my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. What David writes in Psalm 27 tells us that this inner confidence in God, it's available and attainable to every one of us through trust in Jesus Christ. Let's go on in verses two and three. When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. So here David is recalling some past times when evildoers came against him to devour his flesh. What he's saying is there were people out to kill him. He speaks of foes and enemies, those who are set out against him. They they reject him. They persecute him. They say false things about him. He says there's armies that are attempting to besiege a city to surround and overwhelm. it. he says wars are breaking out. There's conflict and chaos. We're talking about potentially really scary, life-threatening situations here that he's talking about. In these trying times, David declares he wasn't the one who stumbled and fell. His enemies did. Repeatedly, David experienced the deliverance of God, the provision and protection of God, times when God came through when things looked really bleak. If you ever look closely at the life of David in First and Second Samuel, you'd see that he went through a lot of adversity. David's confidence in God was battle-tested. And now as he faces troubles again, he's remembering those times when God came through in huge ways in his past. And throughout the scriptures, we can see where God calls his people to remember. Remember all the things that I've done. Remember the ways that I've worked in the past. Remember the ways that I've come through for you. Moses, in his preparation of God's people prior to them entering the promised land, said this word from God with to them. In Deuteronomy eight, fourteen through sixteen he says, Be careful that your hearts do not become proud, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, the place of slavery. He protected you through a wilderness full of poisonous snakes and scorpions. He brought water out of a rock to quench your thirst. He fed you in the wilderness with manna. This is what Moses is instructing them before they take the journey into the promised land, and in essence he's telling them Listen, you're going to have great challenges ahead for you. This is going to be a great place God's bringing you to, but there's going to be enemies that you have to face, life challenges to overcome. When things are good, remember it is because of your God. And what David is trying to tell us through the psalm is when things are most challenging, look back and remember what God has done for you. Remembering is what we do every Sunday morning when we partake of communion. Jesus said these words to his disciples at the Last Supper just prior to his crucifixion. And Paul reiterated those words to the church in Corinth, do this in remembrance of me. Every Sunday we're given the opportunity to remember God's greatest gift, his greatest provision, his greatest rescue and deliverance, his greatest victory, his greatest provision, the greatest demonstration of his love for us, and his greatest promise fulfilled in salvation, and one day completely fulfilled when we go to heaven. Remembering all that God has done for you is a huge factor in not becoming overwhelmed, defeated, discouraged, or overcome with worry, fear, or despair when you're facing very hard times. In your faith journey, it's vitally important to set faith markers along the road as you travel and to look back regularly at all the ways God has proven himself faithful in your life. You know, I have to wonder how many faith markers have been placed at or near the major trials that have happened in our life. You know, you were ready to place one of those memorials on the side of the highway where someone died. You know, you've seen those as you drive. You've seen crosses with people's pictures and faces on them. You know those times when you thought all was lost and God broke through in unexpected ways? This is an exercise that I want you to do this week. Write this down. I want you to map out your faith journey by setting mile markers, representing each wonderful thing God has done for you. And I want you to place a signpost for each major trial you faced and the miraculous ways God broke through to get you where you are today. All those past trials you faced, you know, how many of them in the moment did you think, man, that's going to be the end of me. That's going to crush me. That's going to lead to defeat and despair. It's going to lead to a hopeless future. You had no clue how you would overcome. No clue in the moment of what God would do. And yet here you are. We've all fought that in different things that we've experienced. This is it. I'm not going to make it through this one. And that's why it's so important to remember and go back and look at all of those times and all of those things, because here you are. You did make it. You're still here. You're still walking by faith. Those times didn't defeat you. They didn't crush you. And that's why you need to set these markers along your faith journey and look back, because whatever you're going through now, you have so many things to remember. And when I thought it was all lost, God broke through. It's really a matter of focus. Focus on the problem, and the problem always becomes bigger than your God. It becomes all-consuming, and it leads to constant fear and worry. But focus on God, and that problem turns into an opportunity to see God work, to see God's goodness, and to see how God will glorify himself through it in ways that can only be said That was God. God broke through. Remembering is what bolsters our confidence in the demonstrated greatness and goodness of God in our past that gives us strength, courage, and confidence in our present storms. It's why David could say that though I'm currently facing some very difficult and challenging times, I will still be confident in the Lord. Where is your confidence today? Let's go on and read verse four. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. David had just gotten through reflecting on evil people who wanted to kill him, foes and enemies that sought to crush him enemy armies that were surrounding him, wars that were breaking out against him and God's people. Of all the things that could be asked for in this moment, of all the desires in his heart that could take precedent, a list of urgent needs and desires that could he long for and want to ask God for, in the moment of trial, there is a desire that most of us also would prioritize. God, how about taking care of these evil people wanting to kill me? And all these enemies and foes against me. You know, right? That seems pretty urgent, doesn't it? I mean, if I'm going to go to God in prayer, I'm going to say, you know, God, I'm going to talk to him about that. In our life, it it could be, God, how about helping out with the finances? We're kind of crashing and burning here. Or, Lord, my 401k is being flushed down the toilet here. Or, God, how about alleviating this pain and healing me of this illness? Our God, I've been crying out to you for years to save my son. You know where are you at? Our God, please bring reconciliation to my marriage. I, I don't know if we're going to make it. Or Lord, I, I really want to be married. You know, I've been waiting for years for you to bring the right person. You know, God, what's going on? Oh Lord, you know, I've been wanting to have children, and I don't. Those are all really good requests. They're all legitimate wants, all unmet needs that can lead to emotional unrest and discouragement and really be a challenge for our faith. But the one thing David asked of God, the one thing that he wanted more than anything else in the midst of all the trials that were surrounding him was to dwell with God, to go deeper with God, to be with God all the time and to know him more personally than he did in that day. David knew that his connection with God was more vital to his life than anything else that he could ask for. Wow, how do we get there in that life? That just seems so unattainable, doesn't it? It seems like we just kind of walk out here and say, that's not me, that's never been me, and that's never going to be me. How how do we get there when we're in the midst of a storm? David's single-mindedness has been born out of daily seeking after God and getting to know who he really is in a deep way. And also in remembering the ways in his past and present that the Lord had been good to him. Daily seeking and constantly remembering is what crowds out the clamor and the noise, the worries and the fears, and the insecurities that often come from another storm. David's passion was to spend every day in the presence of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek hard after the Lord. And it didn't matter what was going on in his life. It was his life priority. You know, it caused me to think about the pursuit of my spouse, my future spouse, Lisa. What caused you to want to spend almost every waking moment with him or her in your life? Initially, for me, it started with a physical attraction. It was Lisa, Lisa's pretty face, her bright smile, and yeah, I also liked her curves. But also her laugh, her sense of humor, and her playfulness. But the more time I spent with her, I got to know her personality, her likes, her dislikes, her interests, things we had in common. Then I got to know her heart, her values, her convictions, her character, her faith, her longings and desires. And the more time I spent with her, the more I got to know her, the more beautiful she became to me and the more time I wanted to spend with her. When we dated in that first year, Lisa was living with her parents and I was living with mine and we'd spend most of the time at her parents' house. And they would eventually go to bed, usually after Johnny Carson. And boomers, you know, before you leave, explain who that is to the millennials, would you please? But Lisa would like, uh, she'd start hiding my shoes. It was kind of a joke, it was kind of a game, but she was actually saying, I don't want you to leave. And honestly, I didn't really want to find my shoes, so I didn't really try, because I didn't want to leave. And eventually, maybe it got to 2 a.m., and she'd finally go get them, and I'd put them on, and, and I'd leave. And just so you know, so you don't write anything that wasn't in my story We remained morally pure until our wedding day. It was really hard, but we wanted to honor God and start out our marriage the right way. What can happen as you age? Well, your appearance changes. You both become less physically attractive. You put on weight. Your shape changes. You lose hair, your hair turns gray and hair starts growing out of places you never thought it could. (laughs) Wrinkles increase as do the dark circles and bags under your eyes. And you find yourself loving her more than ever before. Why? I think in part is because you've gone through the battles of life together. You've weathered the storms of life. On your wedding day, you had no clue that the vows you shared would be your life experience together. Hey, we're in this for better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health. And when that wedding day, you just didn't know how much of all of that would really be part of your life. And through it all, you've been husband and wife. You've been partners. You've been mates. You've been lovers. You've been friends. You've been confidants and servants and parents and loving and raising kids and co-workers in serving God. And through the many trials, you continue to be there for each other, to spend time together each day, to continue to love, pursue each other, support, help, and encourage one another, to serve one another, to laugh and play together, to seek God together, to live by faith together. You know down deep that there isn't a person on earth you'd rather have shared that journey with than her. You'd made it through so much together and you have the scars to prove it. This is how David says our relationship with God can be. And God says it's available to all who want it. Available to those who will dwell with him, seek hard after him and gaze at his beauty. Available to those who make him the one thing of their life. Let's go on in Psalm 27 and let's read verses five and six. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David's now speaking of the blessings of daily being in God's presence. And notice these blessings are found by him while living, he says, in the day of adversity. In another version it says, in the time of trouble. The promise is not to prevent all the troubles. It's not to right every wrong. It's not to rescue from every danger. It's not to heal every illness. Not in this life. Not while living in this sin-wrecked world on this cursed planet, but God does promise it in the life to come. What David's words reveal, in this life as trouble abounds, you can experience the security, stability, and inner peace that only God can give. This is where I take great heart in the words of Jesus, when he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me. In heaven there are many rooms. I have prepared a place for you there. He says, In this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's not a peace that can be found in the world. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. David is surrounded by trouble, and yet he is worshiping God. He's praising God. He's giving thanks, and he's continuing to serve God. This is also crucial when you face adversity. It's a key to not giving in to depression, despair, and hopelessness. It's key to not allowing your heart to harden with cynicism, pessimism, negativity, and self-pity. And, and you know, I really believe that when a person's heart grows cold or goes hard, you can be certain that it's an idolatry problem. There's something in that person's life that is the one thing they want more than anything else and they don't have it. It's not God that they want more than anything. It's this one thing and they're not having it so their heart has grown distant and it's grown cold and it's starting to get hard because it's about idolatry. I want something else, one thing that I don't have in my life. How can you know if God has become your one thing? If you're going through hard times and yet find yourself giving God praise and thanksgiving and you're continuing to serve God through loving and caring for others, God has become your one thing. David believes in his heart that even though tough stuff surrounds his life, he's convinced that God will always remain his light, his salvation, and his strength. In this next section of the psalm, I want you to notice a serious change in tone in David's words. And let's read verses 7 through 12. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. Can you you see the shift here? Up to this point, we may have started to think that David's troubles really weren't that big a deal to him. That in David, there was no disturbance of his emotions. There was no worry, no fear, no anger, no frustration over what was going on. There was no confusion over what was happening to him. No struggle, no doubts with self or God. And if that was really so, we really wouldn't be able to relate to him would, or what he's saying. But what we see now in David's heartfelt prayer is even that this man of faith struggled when he felt that his trials had gone on too long, that maybe God wasn't listening, God wasn't responding or intervening how he hoped he would. I've been there and I know you have been too. Hey Lord, you you said seek and I'm seeking, I've been seeking pretty hard, what's going on here? I've been crying out to you each day, I'm starting to wonder if you hear my prayers at all, it feels to me like you're hiding from me. That maybe you're displeased or angry with me about something I've done. But Lord, I know you've always been merciful to me. I know you've always been my helper. You're my savior. You've rescued me time and time again. Lord, I need you now. I'm kind of out here on a limb. I have no solution, no recourse, no deliverance, no victory apart from you. Can you see in his words how making God his one thing helps him to both be honest emotionally about what he's feeling? at the same time strengthened by how deeply he knows God and by remembering who God has been and what he's done in his life. We're seeing both right here. It's this beautiful picture of he's being real about his pain and his confusion and his frustration and how he's afraid that God is not listening. He's not hearing because nothing's changing. But at the same time, he's voicing these words of faith. My trust is still in you. I'm still confident in you. I still believe in you. You are my light. You are my salvation. You are my stronghold. It can be both. Then David remembers the failures of his parents. Though my father and mother forsake me, and so many of us have had that life experience too. Human beings, their love fails us. But scripture declares that nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love, it never fails. Human beings reject us, they disappoint us, they abandon us, they forsake us. But Jesus promises, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God says He is a father to the fatherless. And what do we need from parents? It's love, it's care, it's acceptance, it's guidance, protection, and provision. My God identified himself as a father to those without a human father or a father who's let us down or a father who's abandoned us or a father who's abused us. He's telling you can find these needs fulfilled through me. David was honest with God about how he felt about what he was going through and he held nothing back. It, It wasn't an outburst of pride but he did so with humility as we see in his words there's still a trust and a dependence there. And then he prays this, and, and, and this is amazing. Teach me your way. I'm confused here. I'm afraid here. I'm worried here, Lord. I'm con- I don't really know what's going to happen. I- I'm afraid for my future. But, Lord, teach me your way. Lead me in a straight path. It's like he's saying, Lord, I know your way is always best. I know how trials can get a person to veer off course away from you and your will. I know that this will always lead to further trouble. The most foolish decisions I've made when I've rejected your way and chosen my own is when a need hasn't been met or I've been in a trial. I know that in you alone can be found stability, security, and peace. Help me while in the midst of this adversity to respond rightly, to do the right thing, to obey you always regardless of the cost to honor and glorify you no matter how long this trial lasts. Help me always to be a reflection of you by choosing to do things your way. And quite often, when we're in the midst of the storm, or when things have been delayed and we haven't had that need met, or that prayer hasn't been answered, it's our emotions that begin to lead us to do foolish things. Foolish things that can negatively impact the rest of our lives, our futures. Let's close by reading the last two verses. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. David has finished his psalm and you know what? The storms in his life had not ceased. And yet he speaks a word of faith in the unchanging character of God. I am certain I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. And saying this, his focus is not on eternity, but on the here and now. God, I believe you love me. I believe your salvation is secure. I believe you care and have good intentions for my life. I believe you know what is best for me and my family. I believe you will meet my needs according to your perfect will and timing. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thus, while the storm rages around me, my trust is in you. And finally, David closes, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. wait for the Lord. We tend to think that waiting on God means to shut everything down until the Lord does something to change things. And there will be times in our lives when God wants us to pull away, to retreat, to remove distraction, to quiet ourselves down so we can hear his voice, to wait on him through prayer, to wait for a word of guidance, to hear words of comfort, encouragement, and hope. But waiting on God in its essence, it means to trust him by continuing to live our life by faith as the storm continues to rage all around us. Charles Spurgeon said, waited his door with prayer, waited his feet with humility, waited his table with service, waited his window with expectancy. This is how we live a one thing kind of life in the now and not yet of our faith journey. Emma, you can go ahead and play some background music. You know, I I see too many Christians living with besetting sins, are forever plagued by defeating and destructive emotions, things like endless depression or worry and fear and anxiety or anger and bitterness, the kind of emotions that can be crippling, especially when circumstances in life aren't going so well. In Psalm 27, David is telling us this morning, it doesn't have to be that way for you. He's telling us you can rise above this by dwelling with God every day in such a way as to know him more deeply. You can praise him and thank him in the midst of the storm, regardless of what this day brings. You can remember everything he has done for you in your faith journey, never forgetting the cross of Christ, Go home, as I asked you to do, and set these faith mile markers. Look back and remember all the ways that he has broken through for you in this journey of faith with him. And always, no matter what, serve God wholeheartedly, even in the storm loving on others passionately and sacrificially, refusing to make your focus primarily on the trial by instead focusing on loving God and loving others. And watch in amazement as the Lord's presence breaks through in your life in ways you didn't expect and have absolutely no control over. Make him the one thing in your life I want to just spend a time in prayer and have you guys the opportunity just to close your eyes and meet with the Lord I don't know how he spoke to you this morning but maybe it's time for you to talk to him about what he's impressed upon your mind and heart If you're in need of prayer this morning, I want you to know that the pastors are available. Sam's here, Jesse's there. I'm gonna sit down over here. And if you feel like you're burdened with something and you'd like one of the pastors to pray, go ahead and take that opportunity. And in a few minutes, Brittany's gonna lead us in song.